0: Welcome, in. I'm so glad you made us part of your day. I'm Tony Moore, expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I interview the best heads in business to bring you all the important trends shaping the $6 trillion food and beverage industry. My totally awesome brands featured here take us deep into the world of sustainability and the plant-based food movement, the up-and-coming CBD and good-for-you categories. How about the purpose and mission-based companies striving to make real change in our world? They're here too. The latest in food tech. You want to learn how to build a brand, maybe scale a brand? I've got you covered. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn. Stay tuned. Well, I have Kevin Scott with me again today. Kevin, it seems like everyone I talk to, especially all the companies that I'm seeing online, it just seems like there's so much greenwashing going on. It's it's really getting obscene. For example, I was um, just had a conversation, and the guy said, "You know, green is now the industry gold," and they are. I guess you've seen this too.
1: Yes, yeah, it's it's uh, becoming more and more relevant, and uh, and you're seeing it with the people you're talking to because a lot of these, a lot of these conversations start with you, and then you kind of vet them, and then you know ultimately we get a podcast to talk a little bit more about it. But yeah, I'm definitely seeing that.
0: Well, you look at so they talk about sustainability, they talk about maybe well not so much functional but sustainability. They'll talk about green they white you know they will kind of wash their you know marketing their pr and then you look at the label and you're like you can't even read the label you have to go to a dictionary to figure out what it is right that you're actually you know ingesting um, another big trend is functional yeah
1: yeah very, very true and you know i think there are the actual players and then they there are the actual wannabes And I think, you know, what we're going to hear in you know a few minutes is we're going to find out one of the players that that actually, you know, they walk the walk, walk the talk, talk the walk, walk the walk. It's it's amazing. A lot of people that talk about it. But when you peel it back, you look at the label, you look at the ingredients,
0: um, there's a disconnect. Um, But we're not going to have that today. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Well, you really kind of stole my thunder because <laughs> I was, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, can you actually develop a clean label? Can you be transparent and functional and have a fun product that people want? And as you just said, let's find out. And today we have Niall Phelan. He's the he's the founder of the Naked Collective. And I just want to read to you a little bit su- uh, just by the way, really cool website, Niall. Um, Naked Collective is a carbon-neutral beverage company born in Ireland, and it's brewed in the United States. And they're committed to creating healthy, functional drinks to improve the health and the well-being of the world's consumers, our communities, and our planet. And they've got two brands. One is Mood. It's a range of, like, functional wellness drinks and so beer. Uh, non-alcoholic beer with benefits. Um, by the way, just love that. I love the way you you kind of frame all that up, Nile. Um, what what is it that you really want people to to know about
2: your brand? Uh, it's probably uh, you know first thanks for the intro, guys. And, uh, thanks it, for being here. It, it's wow. it's probably um, less so about our brands. I mean, you know, my my mission and investors are probably going to kill me for this, but my personal mission is, you know, to to help people understand what they're actually putting in their body. You know, I've been in the drinks industry for 25, 26 years, and, you know, I, I think I use this phrase a lot when I'm talking to people. I spend most of my career selling things that kill people really, really slowly. <laughs> um, you know, I spent spend a good time of my career Doing energy drinks, you know, lots of caffeine, lots of sugar, lots of really long words that don't make any sense to, to 99% of people on the label. And then, you know, selling beer, selling alcohol. Uh, and I want to be very clear. I drink. I mean, I'm Irish, right? So <laughs> if I wasn't, if I wasn't drinking, I'd probably be if Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they have special hospitals for people like that, you know, in <laughs> Ireland. So we get checked in pretty quickly, jacket, um, jacket included. So I like I like my Irish whiskey. You know, I'm, I'm I'm a Guinness fan. You know, I don't drink a lot, but my challenge has been just the, the jazz hands of the industry. About four years ago, I remember having a conversation with my wife, and and I was like, I've had an epiphany. Um, she calls it a midlife crisis. <laughs> Uh, I call it an epiphany, and um, where I had this conversation where I said I've spent most of my life selling things that just kill people really slowly. You know, I want to leave something behind that when my kids grow up they can go. You know what? My my dad started that, and and the idea is to do something really difficult, and that's why it hasn't been done, which is to put the fewest ingredients possible into a liquid that goes on the shelf that. Everybody can understand the ingredients. Um, I, I don't know if we always get that right, by the way, but that is that is definitely the mission.
0: Well, I, this is what I find just fascinating: is you would think less in a product would be easier. Less in a product. I mean, this now this is for people who are like not in the food and beverage space, right? You would think it's easier, but for shelf life and all these other things, everything just kind of gets pumped into it. So, I know you. You and Kevin are going to probably get into that a little bit more, but that's just kind of fascinating to
2: me. Well, you know, we get a pretty big ingredients industry that doesn't think less is more. Uh, So when we were developing this product about three years ago, I sat in one of the largest ingredients companies in the world in in their European HQ. And I walked out of a meeting because the brief was really clear. You know, we need some help, want to create a product, fewest ingredients possible, completely clean. I don't want any bullshit in there. I'm not going putting something on there because I can make a claim and knowing that 90% of what they're consuming goes down the toilet, not into their body. This has to be real. Everything about it has to be real. And we sat with their R&D team and they tried to sell us sodium benzoate, spartamine, versions of a stevia leaf, all of this sort of crap. Um, and I was just like, you're not listening, you're just trying to sell me stuff. Uh, and I just left. Uh, so it, it is, you know, there's a whole industry here, and, and actually putting less in is really bloody hard. It's like, you know, you gotta, we, we have shelf stable products, right? So, you know, trying to make a liquid that one tastes good, and we definitely haven't always got that right, and um, that two, is shelf stable and tree has the fewest ingredients possible, no preservatives, no stabilizers, and your primary purpose in life is to take another ingredient out to make it cleaner. That's actually when you get people in from the drinks industry working with you, they're like, this guy's lost the plot. <laughs> He's gone. He's like, what the hell is going on? I can solve this in two minutes with a nice little bit of potassium sorbate or something like that. So it's it, it, it's the way we've been trained in the industry for our whole career, thinking it's okay to put this crap in our body.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and think about it too. The, the key is put it in, make it taste good, mask it, pump it through the system. People will say it's good and it's driven off of taste, not so much benefits and lack of transparency.
2: absolutely kevin and and the issue with that is that when you spend your time because we we know a lot of companies who specialize in masking flavors uh so you know when you get into that you just end up adding more and more stuff in to balance out the flavor you know our generation one of of mood for example so you know for your listeners these are drinks designed to help you from the morning till till the nighttime, you got something to help you get going in the morning. We had a sleep drink to help you sleep, stuff to help you relax. So when we did Generation 1 and that, I remember taking it home, myself and my co-founder, Katrina. You know, we came back from, from the brewery. We put the recipes together and we start tasting them. Her husband was there, my wife. I swear, to, I could see the divorce signals going off across the table as they tasted it. <laughs> and they were like, you guys are, we're like, we got it, we cracked it. They're like, it tastes like absolute crap. I was like, but it's the first time it actually blends together and I can drink it without gagging. That's the, <laughs> that's the starting point, right? So yeah. now I can go, how do I find a balance? How do I, how do I round it out as we, you know, as we develop it? And, and because we brew our drinks, we have a lot more options at our disposal than a typical drinks company where you're, you know, mixing some water, some chemicals and some flavors and, and, and maybe thrown in some powdered vitamins, uh, and pretend it's good for you. That's it. It's done. We brew. We take that takes time, and therefore you can mature flavors. You can balance things out in the brewing. Was it
0: harder to find investors rather than the traditional, which
2: they kind of know what they're going to get? I, you know, I think we've probably been lucky on that front. Um, we well, we've had some good luck and some bad luck. I mean, we started our company during the. You know, a pandemic, the biggest supply chain crisis and labor crisis that we've seen in modern history. And now what potentially could be a major European war, um, like I'm sort of fed up with, with world forces at the moment. Um, those are sort the of things spooked investors. We had a deal done for about $10 million in, um, in late February, early March 2020 um, as our seed round. Uh, pretty big investment. One big family company left New York as the travel ban came into place and the investment had disappeared 10 days later, because that company just was spooked and their other investments, they were like, we're going to hold on, be liquid and keep cash to support these other things. So that, that was tough, but actually for the product itself, gaining investment has been, you know, it's always tough, but it's been, it's been a good journey. And I think, you know, we find a lot of high-net worth individuals or family offices who are really looking to invest in something that's doing good, um, and our mission is to do good, um, and to be honest about it when we're not. So,
1: yeah, yeah, that's you know, it's it's interesting, Niles, because I deal with a lot of startups I have over the past two and a, call it three years. Um, key thing I look for is does product taste good? I mean, that's a that's a no brainer. But the the challenging part becomes investors so i know there's people that are going to listen to this that you know could be at different stages so can you talk about is this did you leave the charge to get investors or did you use an outside company to help um gather the seed money what, what was that process like
2: um i would say a bit of both right so um i'm i'm probably a little bit lucky in that i've got the scars and and stuff from a few previous startups and and have some connections and was definitely able to reach out into some of that network to to talk to investors but we've also used external firms you know big ones like pwc true to small boutique investment houses you know and and we often get an investment firm going well you got to be exclusive with us um and and i you know myself and cat we we debated that early on and we sort of decided absolutely no way because You know, I'm not going to be exclusive with anyone. I need the money and the money is what counts. I think raising investment, you just got to have really tough skin. And, you know, one of the big challenges when you're making food or beverage is does it taste good? That's such a subjective conversation, right? I do not like sweet products. I don't drink sweet drinks. And when we started out, we had a very almost la Croix bubbly flavor with a hint of botanicals which personally i loved but it became very clear very quickly that the consumer wasn't there um, so we built up a sweetness profile over time and, and we're launching at expo west what we'll call our final generational product um, which is like really sweet profile along the lines of an alani new and a celsius sort of sweetness profile um, and I think you know we when we put product in front of investors, they're like, "Hey, well, I want to taste it." It's, first, you have your first meeting; everything's great, and then I want to taste it, and I'm like, "Okay, look, I'm not, I don't wanna offend you, um, you're, you know, we've had a good meeting, but you're in your 70s." And this is this is for uh, a woman, you know, 18 to 35 or 18 to 45. You do not have the same taste profile as them. So delighted for you to taste it. But honestly, in this situation, your opinion doesn't count. You got to go share it with some people in that generation. And then if you give me feedback on it, I'll take it. Um, and we still get that with a lot of buyers as well, right? You've been on the journey, Kevin. You know, we get buyers in their mid-50s who go, hey, I don't like that. And you're like... Yeah, but you're not 20, and you're not on Instagram, and you're not on TikTok, and you're not going to F45, you know, six times a week. You're not. You're just not the target consumer. So, taste is so subjective. What we've tried to do is come away from having a taste profile that's probably a little bit more niche to having something that's uh, a bit more mainstream. Um, and it's been eight. We've already gone through eight generations of the product to get there.
1: Yeah, I think, that's a, I think that's a really good point for you to recognize you're not the target and you're not married to the brand taste. Um, it's developed for other individuals, not necessarily you or some products would be, but that's where I see a lot of people. They can't separate their idea that they have in their mind versus the taste because they convince themselves it tastes really good. And in my case, the people I've dealt with nine times out of 10, it it, it really isn't. And they, they can't separate who they're marketing towards versus their personal taste.
2: Yeah. And then look, maybe I'm, maybe I'm lucky. I, I've sold a lot of stuff in my life that I didn't think tasted very good. Um, but we sold an awful lot of it. So you, if you take your, the biggest issue in, in both a startup and in bigger companies, are egos, right? So, you got to take your ego out of it. You know, unless you want to go out and buy 50 million cans of the product you're making a year, then shut up and listen, because it's not for you. I We got plenty of people in our business who are in that target demographic, and that's who I listen to when it comes to taste profile. And um, I also, you know, I've come across lots of those entrepreneurs as well and lots of those startups, and they're so wedded and so unwilling to compromise. And ultimately... You know, you've got to be careful about the broadness of your principles. And we're really clear on our principles and the things that we won't change. And, um, you know, we, you touched on it at the start, Tony, you know, commitment to sustainability, regeneration, you know, commitment to sort of absolute clean label, simplest ingredients and the commitment that when you drink our product, it'll work. Um they're really important things to us. The biggest principle we set out in our business was we'd only use ingredients we'd give to our kids, and it's a guiding principle in everything we do. So outside of that, you know, if I'm talking to someone in Australia who wants to launch our product, part of that opening conversation is usually talk to me about the taste profile of that consumer in your market, because when you get our samples, we need to know do we need to dial that up, dial it down, because ultimately I'm not going to change consumers taste profiles overnight. I'm not Coca-Cola. I'm not PepsiCo. You know, we're, we're trying to put a product in, we got to give it the best chance of success in your market. And that's sort of how we approach it.
1: Yeah. You know, Niles, it's, it's, inter- I, first of all, I liked your website and for those that are listening, we'll definitely give that out a little bit later, but it, it, it's clean. It's easy to follow. Kind of, kind of like your product, to be honest. And you have a really good Q and a, and one thing that really stood out to me because you just mentioned ingredients, and what I picked up on was you've got ingredients that have been supported by clinical trials. Can you kind of take us through that, how, how that evolved and the process and how you got these approvals?
2: Oh, it's a good question. I mean, when we started the business, it was Katrina and I for a good year, funding everything ourselves, hired a couple of people. But it was fully bootstrapped for the first 18 months. Right. So, you know, and I do hate that term because it's it's a really good VC term. Um, but in practicality, you still got to spend some bloody money. Um, the, the, the biggest challenge for us was we wanted, you know, for example, when we were picking chamomile and we were like, Hey, you know what? I I think the right quality of chamomile could really make a difference here to help people relax, but it's only going to relax their muscles, not their mind. So we got to find that second botanical or adaptogen. And, and so during that discussion with cat we sort of said right well why don't we just say that we're not going to use an ingredient unless we can find a minimum of 15 human intervention or clinical studies that determine the minimum amount required to affect the human body and mind right and that that was just one of the things we we did we took for granted we we went down the rabbit hole on research papers you know we we discounted them if they were from a university that looked like it was paid for by a company um. so we did we did because a lot of that happens we did you know we did a lot of work to establish the 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 quantities required and with chamomile i remember we we did about 16 or 17 of these papers and reviewed them and i'm going to be honest and read every page of those bloody papers. I am not a scientist. That's like my worst nightmare. Um, but we went in, we get into the, the detail, we got some outside help to help us as well understand them. And then we, we, we established we need about 500 milligrams of chamomile in a serve to impact the average person. So that was generation one. And then we realized, well, that's not having the desired impact our sleep product now has a thousand milligrams of chamomile because as we tested it on family and friends we realized that was the magic number and to have an impact almost every time and the second part of it was it can't be like cheap crap it has to be really high quality where's it coming from like where was the chamomile grown where was it broken down into either a cold press liquid or a high quality i'll call it Sludge for better. Um, for, I don't know a better word for it. Um, we try to avoid powders, so we try to keep that liquid essence in in the ingredients. And um, and and what's the measured available bioavailability on that, so that we can always get a thousand milligrams, ninety percent bioavailability. We know nine hundred milligrams is hitting the bloodstream. That level of of. I think investment by me and Kat still pays off today because we've stuck by a lot of the ingredients we researched and early on came upon ashwagandha, which is one of the, our, I would say, our hero ingredients. And um, But, you know, I do say to people a lot, you know, there's a lot of products out there that have chamomile in them and they've got that little chamomile. You'd be better off picking a chamomile flower and having a good sniff. You'll get about the same effect. <laughs> uh, so you know, this idea of putting chamomile in the label, someone thinks it's going to have an impact or even buying a chamomile tea that's really cheap. If you're buying a cheap chamomile tea, you're getting nothing. That's what the I was thinking. Of the you chamomile. kept saying that
0: I was like, like I, we have them in our cupboard, you know, and I, and people, they drink it before bed and I'm like, it doesn't work.
2: But it, if you get the right chamomile, it works. If you get, you know, full, you know, a, a really high quality dried, uh, chamomile flower tea, then the impact is there and you'll, you'll see it, right? You're going to see, it's like buying cheap tea bags. I mean, Ireland is a tea country. Um, although it's a Starbucks country now, like everywhere, um, it it's a tea country, right? So we've two big tea brands and they're, you know, they're good, they're good quality, but they use the dredges of the tea in their day to day. And then they got their gold blend, which is more flavor, the same with everything, right? So when you break down any plant, any ingredient, you got really good parts of it. You got really terrible parts of it. And and it's about understanding in your supply chain that, you know, all apples aren't the same.
0: Just a quick side note, because Kevin and I have been talking a little bit offline about sampling and you've brought it up a couple of times. Just tell us when it comes to sampling, how do
2: you approach that? Uh, sampling in a pandemic is fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, two big parts of our strategy when we were about to launch, um, which was originally be March 2020, we were supposed to hit the market. And um, the biggest part of the strategy was a massive sampling campaign, right? In-store, on main streets, you know, in shopping malls, all that sort of good stuff. And the second part of it was a big on-premise play, bars, restaurants, casual dining, mm-hmm. Um, both of which, six weeks later, were completely irrelevant. Um, so, w- as we started to come out the other side, we've used a lot of online uh, to sample, and we're just about to do a a big online sampling campaign. So, you know, we had people to call us quite crazy. We'll go and say, you know, post on social media. Or we're given one thousand packs for free, and um, we just want you to give us your feedback. Um, you know, you click a link, they get a reminder. About a week after they get the product, click on, we get you know we get a response. We get good responses from those actually, you know, much higher than than average. Probably get about one in four people who actually fill out the the reply, which is pretty decent. Um, and <clears throat> so it's genuinely free. It's not like come on, do your subscription for two months and we'll give you you know a free one. So that's been that's been good. We've partnered with HelloFresh to do some sampling in some countries. Partnered with some. Uh, box companies, uh, as in sending out food boxes and different variations Hello fresh HelloFresh. Um, those sort of tools are good because you can also target the demographic you're looking to hit. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it does work, sometimes it doesn't work. We've done a lot of sampling on Vine, on Amazon. We can't really break that down into the demographics, so it's tough, and, and so you're getting quite mixed feedback. Um, but you know we've learned a lot during that journey on where best to sample. But right now, we're dialing up on street in store sampling. That's our as we return to normal. That's our mission right now. So I think I'm. You know, this year we want to sample about a million cans.
0: Yeah, it would seem like you really want to hit that exact demographic. To your point earlier, I, I I had to keep myself from laughing when you were talking to the investors and you're like, I really don't want you to taste it. I mean, you can, but you're not our profile. And I know Kevin, you've you've dealt with those issues. You know, at at Coke. Yeah, that's real.
2: Yeah, I think we're you know we've one great one of our great investors. Uh, we've got some really good investors. We're very lucky, but one of our investors who's, who's I think he's put money in three or four times uh, from California, and uh, and and he was like, hey, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm just going to check with my kids, and so his kids are in their early twenties, and he got it. We you know we and we've had a few like that, and another investor who's from Ireland. Similarly, you know he, he's like, hey, doesn't doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, it's a. Uh, it's an interesting, an interesting conversation because beverage is just so subjective.
1: It, yeah, it's subjective, and you know, I'm thinking about your sampling program too. It's liquid is expensive <laughs> to ship out because of all the weight. Um, are you coming up with smaller, uh, smaller size products to send out for sampling, or is it full?
2: No, we sell out. We send out full cans because um, you do need to drink a full can, um, and it is expensive. Um, and, you know, I'd say a lot of the money we've raised today goes on sampling and, and the feedback from the sampling and then refining the product. Um, and we found good ways to do that. We've had some terrible ways to do it. Um, but, yeah, it, it, shipping cans is not ideal. You know, it doesn't, you know, and, and, and actually sits difficult with us as, as an exec team even around the sustainability of that model and um, so we've just been you know one-way packaging is something we're about to eliminate from all of our sampling For example and um, we're also um, working on launching a, a compostable sachet version of our products and um, in the summer and using that as our primary sort of e-commerce Uh, Lead out, so we'd still have our liquid available, but try and encourage people to to jump in and buy the sachets. And so, yeah, doing a doing a fair bit of work on those sort of things to to really still get cans in hand. But the sooner the better. We can talk to people in person, um, the better. We talk about you know one can at a time, one customer at a time, one door at a time, one story at a time. It's it that's the mantra in the business.
1: Yeah, and you know what I think is amazing too, Niles, is you've been in the beverage business as long as me. And I think what's interesting is when it comes to, uh, brand loyalty, um, I think about CPG, CPG industry, all the different products, foods, beverages, but the beverages always rise to the top of having the most brand loyalty. And, and I'll give you an example. When I was at Coke, when it came to our water, there would be people that would tell us I will only drink smart water. That's it. That's the only water I want. I will not drink another water. So, I would think that 's probably the end game that you guys are striving for with with your product, which is so unique and transparent
2: it's um beverages are rituals for most people right so it 's a really interesting category to be in, and I definitely didn 't realize that early in my career. but I at some point, I remember going, actually, I drink this product at almost the same time every day, and it 's part of my daily ritual. And we're in a place now where I think it's one in twenty dollars in the US is spent on wellness, right? One in every twenty dollars, one point two trillion a year spent on wellness. So let's not confuse that with health, right? This is about proactivity around your body, um, you know, dry, striving to keep fit, buying products that are going to drive longevity live longer be be better all that sort of stuff i think the the rituals involved in that are becoming even stronger with companies like i'm a big f45 fan um you know crossfit soul cycle these guys have created ritualistic brands and that ties in really well with beverage so i think finding where our products sit in your ritual every day is really important. And I I know where I drink them, mid-morning, just before lunch, can of work, because I know I'll hit a wall in the afternoon and I don't hit that wall if I take that product at that moment. And I can of chill at about 7 p.m. in the evening as I just try and go from being crazy work guy to actually getting some quality time with the family. so it's uh, they're, they're sort of built into my daily ritual.
0: That was just a big light bulb moment for me. You said ritual. I was trying, I was talking to Kevin earlier. I was trying to suss out why, what is it about beverage? You know, what is it? And you, you nailed it. I have a ritual and I, there are certain things that I drink. I drink it at certain times of the day. Um, <clears throat> you talk about wellness products. I've been experimenting with fasting, And of course, there's a lot of, you know, you got to have a lot of liquids when you're fasting and you're, you know, you're keeping things out of your diet, but you can still have coffee. And I find there are just certain things that you just feel like you have to have. And it's just for some reason, right? Beverage goes into that, Kevin.
1: Yeah, I'm, you know what? Uh, I'm going to steal that, uh, Niles. (laughs) Beverages are rituals. I mean, inherently, I knew it, but I hadn't heard that you know, communicated. So I'm definitely going to still that because I have my habits too.
2: And it's so, if you think about yourself, even it's so obvious in terms of you'll have a group of people you probably catch up for dinner with every now and again, and you find that within that group, your beverage consumption choice is very consistent Every time you meet, and you might meet once a week, once a quarter, or twice a year, but suddenly you're reaching for a bottle of whiskey or something that you don't normally reach for because that is your ritual with that group. You probably have a different choice of food. You, you've gone to a different restaurant, or you've eat, you know eaten something completely different. But your beverage ritual stays the same. Your daily beverage ritual, say, same. I guarantee you, if you drink coffee, you have them roughly at the same time every day. You know, you reach for certain things at the time of day. So that ritualistic behavior, the the idea is to go. How does that tie into other ritualistic behaviors during the day? And therefore, how do I become more than a habit? How do I become ingrained in what gets you through your day?
1: Yeah, and everything you said. Um, so, so think about restaurants. You go there for the food experience, you don't mind switching up foods. In fact, you probably don't want to eat the same thing every time you go to that restaurant. But when it comes to beverages, you're pretty loyal and and you're pretty consistent. So um, definitely a good way to look at it. And that's why when I first brought it up, beverages just seem to have so much loyalty with consumers versus food. Um, And it's just and, and you've experienced it. You've been in the beverage business for 25 plus years.
0: I I want to get us into something else that that we talked about earlier and it was really – it's really fascinating. It was kind of part of your mission and your purpose. You you said to us um, when you talked to Kevin and I earlier that you really wanted to challenge
2: other companies to be better. What does that mean? Yeah, look, I think – you know, I've worked inside larger companies a lot. My dog's having a little growl in the background, sorry. Um, I've worked inside a lot of bigger um, CPG companies. Some I've, I've learned a huge amount from them, no matter what, but some, you know, some better than others. I think one of the big bits for me is it's just so easy to throw stuff. As, as Kevin mentioned earlier, we just throw stuff into drinks. It's like without thinking almost it's like yeah we can just add that that'll keep the shelf life longer yeah let's just add that and mask that flavor and 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 i'm being a little bit you know blasé about it there's obviously a bit of D that goes on on those things but generally that's the approach it's like we can just throw stuff in here and so <clears throat> i think my you know, it's very, very difficult, as I said, to make something that's as clean label as our product. It is far more difficult to make it with less ingredients than it is with more ingredients. And I think when we, you know, when we talk about challenge in the industry, first, we've got to be successful, right? So if we get into the fridge and we become part of the ritual, people start picking us up. We gain a bit of a reputation. Then other companies start to look and go, Holy crap, when I put my labels side by side with theirs, it looks crazy. So I often talk to my team about, you know, guys, if we if we were on a billboard and it was us and either Red Bull or Monster and we listed our ingredients, our ingredients would fit in a nice little box on the billboard. We'd have to get an extra billboard to cover the ingredients for those products. So typically 30 ingredients. That's a brilliant and marketing it, idea, like, though. Yeah, not a bad one. Maybe yeah, we'll do honestly. it. Uh, so it's it it and when we talk about challenge that's the challenge like come on guys do you don't need to think about the damage you are doing to people if you put 50 grams of sugar in in a liquid and then on this per serving you tell them it's it's you know 20 grams or 15 grams and then oh this can has two and a half or three servings in it like be real about the consumer they're not drinking you know one it's not a resealable container Right. So they ain't drinking a tour to that container and then moving on. You've just thrown 50 grams of sugar, 250 milligrams of caffeine into their body, sodium benzoate, which is a derivative of benzoic acid, one of the biggest carcinogens in the world. Right. You've put potassium sorbate and all these sort of just this crap into their body. So, you know, doing better or challenging to do better is if we can get people to pick our product up, if we can challenge that and show we can command a premium, not a crazy premium, we can command a premium to, to, to deliver that simplified clean label, to deliver the taste, to deliver the effects, you guys can do it too. So that's a bit of the, a bit of the mission that we, we're going after.
1: So I think what's good about this too, Niles, is you're talking not only alcoholic beverages, but non-alcoholic as well. So you're covering a, a lot of categories in terms of trying yeah. to get others to do better.
2: Yeah. And like beer is, I love beer. I mean, I, I, you know, I've had my own brewery. I've sold it. I'm, I'm a massive brewing fan. This, we don't, we don't even touch the tip of the iceberg of what you can do with brewing right in, in the modern world. And most breweries are built as mass commercial enterprises. And there's nothing wrong with that. We don't know what's in our beer. We just don't. We, we have this, Beautiful, romantic notion that it is water, hops, yeast, and barley. And, it you know, the reality being that's just not true, there's so much crap going on in the background to to stabilize products before they, they get fermented and after to, to to stabilize products at the end of a line. There, it It is just, it, it is one of the rarest um, food and beverage categories in that you do not have to put the ingredients on your can or your bottle, right? What other part of food and beverage in the world do we know of where you do not have to list your ingredients, right? That's so I weird. think that's I'm like, crazy. I'm gonna go to the
0: fridge and check that. I
2: You'll find, you'll find, by the way, some uh, voluntary declarations um, from certain companies who wanna be transparent, but you do not, there's no legal requirement. It's just bonkers. And this is something that, and I'm gonna say again, I like a drink. Love a whiskey. I love a beer. You know, I absolutely drink in moderation, and probably not your, you know, your perceived Irish person. But I don't <laughs> think there's many of those left in the world. Um, I encourage people moderate a lot more than than most people realise. And you know, I just I, I find it crazy. You also don't have to talk about the calories, right? So we're in a world where obesity is probably one of the single biggest causes of disease. Um, one of the biggest costs to our medical system, right? Um, and I don't have to label that this drink I'm about to, to knock, you know, 12 ounces down of is over 200 calories. So, and it's 200 empty calories, right? It is effectively you're drinking alcohol calories or sugar calories. That is it. Um, so for me, it's, it's about understanding, you know, how, how does the industry actually You know grow up and get transparent and we've seen this in other big industries as well but there's the great thing is we've got lovely challengers coming through like we're tiny in the scheme of things but there's some amazing companies coming through like poppy and olipop these are the guys who are just they're challenging it as well because the naked collective ain't going to do it on its own you know you've got amazing products coming to the market taking this really simplified approach um, and I'm really showing the consumer it can be done differently. And I think if we fast forward a decade, that soft drinks fridge is going to be vastly different. And um, that beer space is going to be vastly different. We've got it's the non-alcoholic beer is the fastest growing category in the Western world at the moment. Um, well, that's an interesting fact. Are,
0: I mean, I drink non-alcoholic yeah. beer, us- but I had no idea. I've, I have noticed the, the space in the beer fridge you know, has expanded, which I'm glad to see, but most of it tastes like crap.
2: Yeah. I think the taste is a big challenge. Yeah. I think the old fashioned one. So here's a good stuff for you. There's about nine brands. I call them traditional non-alcoholic brands in the U S that make up 40% of the category. Um, every single one of them is in decline and uh, not only are they in decline by about 8% in a non-alc category that's growing at over 30%, their decline trebled in the second half of 2021. Then you got two sort of core brands in, in Heineken Zero Zero and Budweiser Zero growing at 55%, 60% combined, Bud Zero delivering most of that growth now. Um, but fundamentally, they, they do taste good, um, and I'm a, I am think... Heineken, we gotta be honest, have probably almost single-handedly been responsible for completely transforming the perception of non-alcoholic beer. Um, but they're made terrible. So, you know, they're de the alcohol's taken out. And and with the alcohol being taken out, you take out all of the nutritional value, you take out any goodness in it. And then you've got some craft that's growing like crazy as well. And um, the biggest moment, my biggest eureka moment in this was we were looking at some data about 12 months ago. And the fastest growing non-alcoholic beer market in the world is Australia. I was like, you know, I I know a lot of Aussies and they have a better reputation for drinking than the Irish do. So that was like, holy crap. This is, this is a real movement.
0: I, I do like non-alcoholic beer and... Um... I found that the, the you know the early brands just did not have any flavor. I felt like it was they were just totally you know watered down. Um, but I'm still just kind of reeling from the fact that these labels are hiding everything. And I don't want to get started on lobbyists, but that's the power of corporate lobbying. Because they have allowed – because every other – like you say, why do all the other categories have to list and label? It's because of lobbyists. So that's just – I'll get off my soapbox. But I do know that's one of the big reasons why. Maybe you have a different opinion on this. But you also said it's not just up to the Naked Collective. It's up to these other companies as well to create this groundswell, right? So they are more transparent
2: because they're not doing it on their own and they're being allowed to. Yeah. And, and it's not about, you know, I, I have to keep saying this because often I get told uh, he doesn't drink. So he says this stuff because he doesn't drink. I mean, you know, I, I really do. I can't specify how much I love uh, a nice Irish whiskey. Right? <laughs> uh, so, I think it's like the third time uh, you've I, said that.
0: I mean, maybe we need to like, know, have an Irish whiskey break. I,
2: I, I'm like I'm specifying Irish. I do like some scotch as well, but I'm specifying Irish. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, we're not trying to shame people. So I know when calories go on restaurant menus and stuff, you get this thing, which is, oh, you're trying to shame people into eating less. And it's like, no, you just let people make a conscious decision. Yeah. If if I'm going to have an entree that's 1,200 calories, I'd just like to know about that. And um, I'm probably going to order it anyway. <laughs> so, but it might mean that I don't have, you know, a butterfinger later <laughs> or something like that. And I think it's the same when you're when you're drinking, it's like, okay, well, if I've had eight beers tonight and they you know, their IPA is have I just drunk sixteen hundred or two thousand calories in the space of three and a half hours? You might think differently. Yeah. And and so, you know, you might have half of that amount or you you might you you just might think about your behavior a little bit more, and um, but you still want people you still want people to have a great time. You want them to enjoy what they're doing and have a good time. Um, but do it just consciously. I think is the is the big element.
1: Yeah, now I, so I, I'm kind of switching gears on this one. I, I yeah. because you've been very very good about telling us kind of where you started, formulation. Uh, everything is open. Um, you're not hiding anything. Sampling. So, talk about how you're getting your product to market, uh, mainly through distribution. What, what, what does yeah. that look like at this point?
2: So we, so we're in about six countries, um, but I'll just talk U.S. for the purposes of today. So, launched here in the summer, and used probably the first four or five months to just refine what's the right formulation for the US? How do we pitch this? All that sort of stuff. So as of today, you know, we've great national distribution with Kihi on our functional beverages on Mood. Um, and I, you know, I can't say enough about Kihi. I, I hear mixed reports about Kihi and UNFI. Um, Kihi have been just extremely supportive of our mission, project, brand. Um, so, you know, I'm a big I'm a big fan. We. we We do sell some products with UNFI as well, but they're probably about one-tenth the size for us as Kiki at the moment. And then from a retail perspective, you know, and I'm sticking with mood just for a minute Mm -hmm. – you know, we're really good presence now on, on the West Coast, in the greater LA area, pushing up into NorCal, you know, starting to expand that footprint. Uh, we've just launched in in the Northeast, Connecticut, Rhode Island, with a nice little presence in New York. We're trying to change that to a big presence in New York. Um, and we use DSD for that. So we use typical beer distributors, like good sort of tier one beer distributors. We're very lucky. We've got some great partners there. And, and they're in a place where they're seeing beer volumes decline and and an evolving consumer and looking for new things. So that's been great. And then um, on the sober side, we've got a great presence in Michigan, uh, again, West Coast and around the greater L.A. area. um, And uh, just launched in Wisconsin, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, good base in New York, trying to push into Texas, Pac Northwest, typical beverage hubs. But um, eight, eight target areas around the country. We Just agreed a deal with CVS for mood, so that goes live in uh, in April. Um, and then you know, we've got Rayleighs have been a good supporter up in California for us on Sovia. Uh, in in Canada, we've pretty much got national distribution on Sovere. It's it's uh, it's across uh, most retailers, and hopefully just um, going into the last uh, couple at this stage. And um, so. Yeah, we we've been working pretty hard in the background. We're you know we're very early days, and we're going through that cycle of trying to break through in the category resets. Um, and we're I think what we're finding is that our sustainability mission for some retailers is as important as the product, um, and others who who doesn't bother them at all. So,
1: so here's an odd question. I don't even know how to. Well, I just need to ask it. When you present and you talk about, we have a product called Naked Collection. Do any eyebrows ever get raised?
2: Does
0: that
1: cause any questions? Of, <laughs> There's a lot of ways you could go head.
0: with that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I have a t-shirt actually that my da- my two teenage daughters, and they won't let me wear it anymore because it's like got a naked collective logo on the chest here and then on the back, it's like <laughs> let's get naked together. Uh, so, oh, you have I to just wear not. that
0: around them. You 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 have a window of uh, maximum embarrassment.
2: You're in the window. <laughs> I think- I think my, my levels of embarrassing them are probably already peaked at the moment. So, uh But I know, I love that T-shirt. People ask me often, they're like, you know, people will walk up to you when you're wearing that T-shirt and go, what's that? What's, this? what's going on with the T-shirt? Like, um, So what we often, you know, when we're meeting people and talking to people, like the Naked Collective Symbol, it's about naked ingredients, transparency. Yeah. Like you got nothing to hide when you're in your birthday suit. Okay, so... <laughs> That's the idea. We've got nothing to hide. You know, we get things wrong. We get things right, all that sort of stuff. And the collective is about that collective of great people and great brands. I think when, we, when we're when we talking to customers and retailers, distributors, we tend to be brand focused. So we're either talking to them about Sober or we're talking to them about mood. And it's it's very focused on that. And we'll touch on the Naked Collective mission is the same as the brand mission, so it's easy to, to integrate the two together.
0: Well, I think we could easily talk to you for an hour, and I promised you a 30-minute podcast. We're blown by it just because there's just so much to talk about. Is there anything that you just want the listeners to to know that just before we leave, a, a final thought?
2: Website too, yeah. Um, yeah, true, true. Yeah, I do- I, I think the one thing we really didn't cover, actually, was just, you know, you talk about greenwashing and stuff like that. And, you know, just to be really open, yeah, you know, we, that. we well, look, we generate carbon emissions. We are a consumer goods company. You can't be a consumer goods company if you don't generate carbon emissions. Um, and there will be some point in the future when we can offset that. We, you use a lot of, I mean, offset it by, sorry, not offset it, but but you can You can find technology where maybe you're not generating as much, but consumer goods, they're called fast-moving consumer goods for a reason. People consume them and they move on. So you have an imprint. Our goal is to find really high-value offset projects where we pay two to three times the sort of standard amount of an offset because they're tough projects, right? So and they're long-lasting, sustainable projects. So we do that sort of stuff. And then we go over and above by investing in regeneration projects. We've been investing down in improving Amazon in a, in a rewilding project down there. Nothing to do with any of our products, but we just think – I saw that. You know, you can't plant trees and Yeah, Positive, it's, it's a right? really cool project. Positive. The way that, yeah. I'm positive we're a founding member of, yeah, one of the 100 companies that came together to. Tell people a little bit about that. I didn't
0: realize you were the founding member. Just give everybody a quick overview (laughs) of that.
2: Well, we're one of 100 founding members. So uh, I wouldn't take, I don't want to take credit for our positive because it's driven by an amazing team. It was easy to become a member because it was already our mission. So, you know, we're really passionate about some crazy stuff. uh, Like, you know, we don't want to go. Pay to plant trees somewhere, and that someone's going to plant the trees because it's a good commercial venture. What we'd like to do is reintroduce animals to that area to rebuild the ecosystem, or do things that that's tough. So, and that's sort of how positive members work. And um, things like you know, producing locally, finding local ingredients, not shipping stuff across the Atlantic, uh, only using packaging materials where you can you can stand over the recycling rate, for example. Um, so things like that are really important to us and for us it's just an ongoing mission to go how do we we want to pay the least amount of money on offsets annually but buy the highest cost projects and the only and that might sound like a conflict but it's purposely a conflict because if i'm buying less offsets i'm producing less emissions but i'm still buying high quality offsets so um, that's sort of how we go about it
1: i think it's exciting for you right now because you think about the pandemic last year and what you couldn't do and now what you can do specifically around sampling. But I I think it's been great to really understand where you started and where you are now, some of your successes. Um, But more important is your mission and really the ability to be transparent because you don't see that. You hear some people talk about it. It doesn't necessarily happen, but with you it's happening. So, I just, I'm kind of curious, is there anything you want to share with people about your website, how to see your product, how to get your product?
2: Go to tncdrinks.com. Uh, T for Tommy, and for Niall, TNC drinks. Uh, You can buy our product on there, get it shipped to your home, um, but also you can find store locators, so it's pretty much live. We update that every week. Stick in your zip code, you'll find stores nearby there to sell the product. You can find out more, you can go see our science on there, you know, what backs up the ingredients, all that sort of stuff, and you can connect with us there. Um, So, that's our hope, uh, But also, you know, if you have any, any trade listening or whatever, retailers, distributors, or just people who are curious, we've got a nice booth at Expo West N2308. Um, so we've taken a, a pretty big booth in the hot new products hall. Um, and we'd love to meet people there and, you know, share the story and taste some product because we're going to be pouring mood on tap. What's the, at the, show? What's the date of Expo West, uh, 9- Uh, March 9th, 10th, and 11th in Anaheim Convention Center. Got it.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Listen, this has been great, and uh, I appreciate your time. Tony, um, any last thoughts on um,
0: this podcast? This was uh, very, very informative. I really want – I wish Atlanta was a little more cutting edge with, with food and beverage. We're not quite there. We're maybe a little too far on the East Coast. I think if I was on the West Coast, I'd be able to. I probably have a little more access to this stuff. But um, no, it's super exciting. We're gonna we're gonna be looking for you in, in in convenience stores and grocery stores soon. Thank you so much for being here today and kind of thanks, sharing Michael. your mission and your in your vision and your um, your love of Irish whiskey.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks thanks for listening to a rambling Irishman. Appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, Miles. Highly entertaining. Appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. See you.